This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Megan Strand, your host for today, and I am thrilled to be joined by Nicole Trufant, who is Vice President of Finance and Administration at the University of New England in Maine. Welcome, Nicole. Oh, thank you, Megan. So happy to uh, join the podcast. I always like to ask our guests to start us off by telling us how they came to higher ed as a career. So could you do that for us today? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. I know many CBOs stumble upon the profession, but I don't really think that I did. I think that education's kind of in my blood. It's part of my DNA. Both of my parents were high school teachers, and they taught for over 35 years doing that. So I was brought up in an environment of learning, um, you know, from a very young age. It's, you know, part of who I am. And my grandfather uh, came and he got a job. He only had a sixth grade education, and he was a custodian at a college. Hmm. And while he was working there, he realized the value of a higher education. So he sent my mother to college in the 1950s, which really wasn't normal for a girl from a small town in Maine to go away to college. But my grandparents uh, borrowed some money to send my mother to, to college and, you know, she became a teacher. And now I serve as a chief business officer at that school where my grandfather was a custodian. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's why I say it's it's in my DNA. I guess I think, so. <clears throat> I think it was meant to be. I didn't always know that, but it's definitely, you know, meant to be. So I think about that a lot. So how did you, did you come go right to academia out of college or graduate school and you just knew that's kind of where you wanted to be? Is that how that happened? No, I came out of college and I worked in public accounting for a number of years and did that. And that was a, a great opportunity for me because I got to look and to work in different industries. So I did work in higher ed and I was part of the audit team of the mm. university I work at now. Got and it. I did some corporate work and some other nonprofits. And I really kind of thought I spent a lot of time thinking about the right fit and in industry for me. And I left there and worked for um, the Maine Turnpike Authority for a couple of years. And then I came to higher ed and have been there ever since. Nicole, what would you say makes the University of New England unique for a CBO? Oh, it's very unique. We say that we're a private institution with a public mission. Mm. And we're also one of the fastest growing institutions in the country. The Chronicle um, a couple years ago had us in the top 10 growing um, 
universities in the country. The Washington Post recently had us as number seven in an article that they published. So with all the growth and to build the systems to do that, and we've also opened three colleges. So we've opened a college of dental medicine, a college of pharmacy, and a college of graduate and professional studies. And a few years ago, we opened a satellite campus in Tangier, Morocco. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So everyone thinks we're this small school in the woods of Maine, but we have 12,245 students, 40% of whom are online. Um, And then, you know, we have this mix that really public schools often do. So, you know, we're a tuition-driven institution, um, really um, educating the healthcare workforce. Wow. Talk a little bit about that online component. That seems like a pretty high percentage. Does that present any unique opportunities or challenges? We were first in the country. The University of New England was first in the country to go online with the master's in social work program. So Mm. we led that followed by, I believe it was the University of Southern California who came in second Um, for that. It's been a great program to be involved in on the administrative side for how do we service those students that are online? How do we get them the help that they need in financial aid and billing and still have touch points with them? I enjoy graduation every year and a lot of our online students come out so we get to see them face to face. Yeah, our uh, my president spoke at a Kubo as a general session speaker and at the end uh, a controller came up to us, introduced ourselves, and she says, "Want to introduce myself? I'm an, you know, EDD student. I'll be graduating from UNE in in May. So the, the, it's it's really neat that we're really getting out, you know, really expanding who we are." Talk about what's exciting about your role currently, Nicole. I have been at the university for a long time, and I think I have ex- experienced every emotion that there is, <laughs> except for boredom. I have never been bored. Uni is always changing and growing. We're a very entrepreneurial institution. Right now, we're starting a digital academy uh, that we have going on. So I'm building the administrative systems with that, you know, with IT and financial aid and student accounts for how we're going to support that endeavor. Uh, We have a transition in leadership going on right now. So that's you know, doing all that I can to help support my outgoing president while I'm preparing to support the incoming president uh, for that. So there's there's always a lot going on. It's always changing and evolving. And we've been nimble, really flexible and, and nimble to do that. When you first took the position that you hold currently, was there anything that you wish that you knew, but you didn't when you first started? I think I was better off being naive when I took the mm. job. I got the, I was the associate vice president and, and, and the president appointed me in 2008. And that's when the market started to collapse and the great recession started. And we were very, we weren't sound fiscally at all. We had dipped into our line of credit for the past two years in order to meet payroll Mm. for the months of July and August. And I had a president with a lot of big dreams. You know, she wanted to start the College of Dental Medicine. She wanted to start a College of Pharmacy. She wanted to go online. And we didn't have the resources to do that. And we also desperately needed to build another residence hall or we would have been a commuter campus and it would have been difficult to recruit undergraduate students to come on board. So I was charged to get funding in a time, you know, when the markets were falling apart and nobody knew what the rules of the game were. So 
I think I needed to be naive and to just keep pushing forward. And we found a partner to lend us the money. To, we were able to build that residence hall. That was the last borrowing that we did. And then from that, the president and I developed a budget model that would allow us to reinvest in ourselves and grow while we improved the financial health of the institution. So we went from a non-rateable, we were less than junk bond status in 2008, and we just received the university's first ever credit rating, and Moody's graded us an A3, and Fitch gave us an A-. minus. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, it started with an A, and we like A's in higher education. <laughs> Very excited. That's fantastic. Any lessons learned from that process? It sounds like a, a very thorough and comprehensive approach that you took, but I'm sure there are things along the way that you look back and think, oh, if we had just done this little teeny thing different, that might have gotten us there quicker, or I'm glad we did this and we didn't have any idea that that would result in the positiveness that it did. I think the lesson learned for me is how important it was at the beginning of my current president's tenure that the finance staff had served the institution for a long time and that we knew it well. Mm -hmm. So when she wanted to start building the financial health of the institution and doing um, these investment models, the controller, the director of university budgeting and I had a lot of experience and we were a strong team. So we were able to pull the data together very quickly, accurately, which allowed her to, to pivot and, you know, and move the institution that way. Nicole, what are you doing today that you never imagined you'd be doing maybe 10 or even 15 years ago? The podcast. <laughs> in, the, in the studio. With you, in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the studio that I, when the communications wanted to fund, I questioned why we needed a studio and here I am using it. <laughs> um, beyond that, you know, I never thought that I would be involved at a, a, a Kubo, uh, you know, um, as an incoming vice chair, once I'm done being chair of the program and services committee, I'll be, you know, I was appointed to the Nakubo board as a part of that. I never thought that would be me um, to do all that. I've done a lot of speaking at a Kubo and other places, telling you any story and lessons learned and trying to do best practices. And I never saw myself doing that kind of work, you know, to get out there. I'm typically pretty quiet in the back of the room. So I think finding my voice and telling you any story is really the most unexpected part of my career. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge with, with the community. What would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What keeps you all up at night? Oh, I think it's the changing, the economic model of higher education. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, for where we're going, we have a smaller demographic costs, containing costs. We're a labor intensive industry, so it makes it difficult, you know, to find efficiencies that way. Uh, and I think CBOs can really play, need to play a key role as a strategic partner in the cabinet to help their presidents and, and provosts find a way to keep delivering a high quality education while containing those costs and looking at things in a different way. On the flip side, what would you say is the biggest opportunity presenting itself to CBOs today? Well, I think it's exciting, all the change that's going on. You can view it as unnerving, but it's it's happening here anyway. Technology is changing all industries. We're all going through it. 
you know, I never thought I'd be ordering paper towels online, but they show up, at my step, <laughs> you know, two days after I order them. So, you know, why wouldn't higher education have to change and to do all that stuff? And where's our place in that? And how do you hold on to the culture and the traditions of higher education? So you're, you're delivering a quality education, but can you reach the students in a different way? And what are the financial and administrative systems in the background that I manage that I can help sort of set that up so the academics can, you know, deliver their curriculum? And that student experience. Are there any places that you personally look for pockets of innovation or inspiration in this tricky economic climate? Sure. I, you know, I read a lot out of industry to see what they're doing and and thought leaders and listen to podcasts. You know, I listen to the Scratch podcast from Scratch podcast a lot on NPR just to hear those entrepreneurs and their stories. Mm. Um, they're, they're always fascinating and, you know, it's never easy to get to success. So you learn a lot from that. And each year I try to attend a conference that's outside of my purview oversight, you know, maybe it's a different industry or it's something related to higher ed. We started with the online. So a few years ago, the provost and I went to the online conference um, that was held so that I can get a better sense and understanding. So when deans and vice presidents come to me with their budget requests or their needs, I have a better understanding so I can help them and ask better questions to go through the process, the budget process. Is there a particular industry that you've maybe explored that you, f- you find most inspiring or with, with lots of parallels? Well, I think, you know, healthcare is pretty closely tied to mm. higher education. There are a lot of parallels there and they are usually on the bleeding edge of regulatory changes and, you know, cuts coming down for what the expectations are. And where you know, being a you know, health sciences university heavily with our colleges, uh, you know, that also has an impact for how we educate students. So we're closely tied to that. So I closely watch what's going on in healthcare. Nicole, who has served as a professional mentor to you? And what do you feel you learned from him or her? Oh, I've been very blessed to have a number of professional members for whatever reason they've taken a liking to me and have held me down the path. I think the one that stands out in my mind the most is when I worked at the Maine Turnpike Authority. My boss uh, um, would take me to 75% of his meetings. I was young. I was 25 or 26 at the time. And he'd take, he was the controller and he'd take me to all these meetings. And I would say to him, I don't understand why I'm going to these meetings. You know, I have work to do. I thought it was inefficient. And he said to me, and I was very uncomfortable with this comment at the time, and I still am, but he said to me, he said, you have a lot of raw talent and I want to be a part of developing that talent within you. And you're going to hold a leadership position one day and I want to help you get there. And it's really kind of a profound moment for me uh, in my life because I didn't see myself. I thought, you know, I'd just come in and, and do my job and you know, sort of go on. I I didn't see myself as a leader or manager coming down. I hadn't really thought that far ahead, but through him, I learned how to negotiate, you know, with banking relationships, loan agreements, how to manage attorneys when you're working on getting a deal done, uh, board relations, doing all that. And he really helped me tremendously. And I remember with him, I had my first performance issue 
uh, so I had to meet and he was an older gentleman. So he was more than twice my age. And um, it's, it was, I was intimidated to do it. And so I went and I had this meeting and I, so I asked my boss, I said, well, are you going to be there or can you help me? And he said, no, you can do it. You have to learn. Good luck. And he left. So I went and I had a, the conversation, you know, with this gentleman and it went well. It was, you know, it was very, it was my first difficult performance issue conversation that I had ever had. So, you know, I navigated my way through that conversation and at the end he left and he, you know, he said, thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. He actually shook my hand. So it did, it went well. And when I left, I stepped out of my cubicle and my boss was sitting um, in the next cubicle and I had no idea. So, <laughs> and I just thought, you know, what a lesson in leadership and management for me at that moment. You know, I thought that I was flying solo, but you know, I had that safety net there. So, you know, I've tried to pass that on to others through the years. Isn't that interesting that you saw it as inefficient because you weren't you didn't realize <laughs> what he was trying to do. And I that I makes no so idea. much sense. Like as a 20 year old, you just want to go and you don't sometimes see the forest for the trees. So that, that's a fascinating story. You really don't. You're still refining that technical skill set that you learned when you were in college, you're still doing that. And you think a lot of those soft skills, which is really what he was teaching me, um, you don't understand the value of those and that it's difficult to recruit people and to, to develop that in individuals. How, how do you approach mentorship on the other side? So how do you look for people who you might choose to mentor um, or, or lead in some way in their career? When I hire individuals, it's I look at their core values. I try to see their you know skill set that way, what makes them tick. So they need to be open and honest, um, ability to self-reflect, not take themselves too seriously. I look for someone that goes above and beyond the call of duty because they want to serve the institution and they want to do a a better job. And I try to pull them up, not necessarily the ones that are outwardly ambitious and think that they can, you know, but not that, you know, when some people are earlier on in their career and they think that they're ready to be, you know, a controller after two years out of college or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look for competence more than confidence. Sometimes people can have too much confidence, right? confidence can get in the way of competence. Right. But I look for people that maybe, I guess that's really, they're similar to me, right? Where they don't see that they maybe they don't have the confidence, but they have the competence to do it. Mm -hmm. And I really like to pull them up and build up and give them an, an, an opportunity and, you know, tell them that, you know, we're a team and try, you know, have a lot of open communication on that and try to help them and guide them along in, in their career. Help them see the forest. Help them see the forest. <laughs> it was like that with the CIO. I had uh, one meeting with him and he was running academic technology at the time. And, you know, he had flown away. He had left and gone away. But I had a couple meetings with him. And, yeah, I was at a director's level meeting. The CIO had invited me and his report out was just amazing. And he was on top of everything. I also knew he was running academic technology in handling the instructional design for the university, not an easy job. And the faculty were giving him, you know, rave reviews and I wasn't hearing any complaints. So that spoke volumes to me. And when the CIO stepped down 
I said, that's fine. I wanted this individual to come and serve as CIO because I could just see it in him that he did it. And he didn't see it in himself. And he's done a fantastic job for the university as, as CIO. Anything else you'd like to share today, Nicole, that I've neglected to ask? No, I would just say that working in higher education is really a privilege and it's purposeful and meaningful work. Your education changes your life and it has changed mine. And I think these are just great jobs and they're hard jobs. They can take a toll on you. But as long as you keep the students at the center of your decision, the decision you need to make will be clear. Executing the decision can be a difficult path and journey. But as long as you stay true to keeping the institution's mission at the core of what you're doing, you'll be successful. Great words to end on. Thank you so much, Nicole, for your time today and for sharing your story. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. You can find out more about Nicole and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Nicole and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.